A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled that you're with us. Uh, It's a fun afternoon to be downtown. We've got the NBA All-Star game here in town and all the other activities surrounding that. Uh, Yesterday, last night, we had the Rising Suns, Rising Suns, Rising Stars game. And uh, I believe uh, the Pacers' own uh, guard, Mathurin, uh, actually won MVP of that based on what I read. That's exciting. But it's neat. They've got a big chunk of the circle downtown right here in front of the studio blocked off. There are basketball goals out there. There's just something satisfying about watching a whole bunch of of folks. And I got to tell you, there are people out there. You know, my age, uh, in their 60s, and and, and 10-year-olds, and everything in between, who just want to get a hold of a basketball and launch some shots at these outdoor hoops that are set up on the circle. And and it's just so, it's fun to watch. It's fun. I went over and got a sub at uh, Potbelly uh, Subs right there on the circle, and I stood there in the window and, and just watched people throwing up shots for a while. And I got to tell you, just the, the pure joy on people's faces is just really fun to see. And uh makes you understand why uh, Indiana has the special relationship it does with basketball and vice versa. And uh, makes it neat to have really an international event uh, like the NBA All-Star Game uh, going on. I mean, there are, uh, there are media here uh, from literally all over the world and it's neat. It's cool. It's fun to see. It's fun to see a bunch of people walking around downtown. Downtown uh, is is in pretty good shape compared to a typical Saturday evening. Uh, traffic is ridiculous. And trying to get across Washington Street just to come to the studio just now was a complete pain in the butt. And, and partly because, I don't know why we do this, if, if you're driving a big limousine or even one of these limousine buses, apparently you have the prerogative to just park, turn your flashers on, and and block traffic in every direction because uh, you're driving a limousine, I guess, and apparently that's just fine. Maybe it has something to do with how important your clients are that are aboard that limousine or that bus. I don't know. But it's infuriating to those of us who are trying to get around, including our visitors, not just uh, grouchy old dudes like me trying to get to the radio station, but other people, you know, are here to visit. I'm sure didn't appreciate I'm sitting in traffic for a whole hell of a lot longer than necessary, because for some reason we uh, let people block traffic uh, anytime they feel like it downtown. I don't really get it. Um, But hey. I took a deep breath, gave myself extra time to get down here anyway, and it all worked out just fine. As always, we've got a ton to talk about on the Second Amendment front here on the Gun Guy Show. One thing, I'll give you a little hint of uh, future attractions, is here in the next week or so, uh, perhaps as, as early as a week from today, we're going to be uh, welcoming uh, a new partner, new sponsor here on the Gun Guy Show. It's going to be Indiana Gun Club. And I'm really excited about this because, listen, I, I go way back with these folks. I've bought several guns there. 
including my current sporting clay shotgun and absolutely beautiful Caesar Guarini Magnus sporting sporting clay gun. The, the gun is capable of much more than I am when it comes to uh, sporting clays, uh, which is really what it's designed for. But it, it, it'll be the last sporting gun, uh, sporting clays gun that I ever need to buy. But I bought that there at Indie Arms. I bought several high-end handguns. People don't understand the selection that you have available there, including some of the very nicest firearms uh, there at Indiana Gun Club. I bought Wilson Combats there. I have a Wilson Combat EDCX9. That's an absolutely beautiful gun. Uh, I bought I bought other Wilson Combats there, including a CQB Elite, which is just absolutely fabulous, and Ed Browns. We really some high end guns, and uh, and that's all available there at Indiana Gun Club. But I've been talking to these folks, and they're going to start advertising here on the Gun Guy Show, and I'm just way excited about it because uh, I know these folks; they're friends of mine, and I'm a big client, big customer, and uh, I've I've got a a card that you use and the sporting clay uh, machines out there you put your card in you buy you can you can get your own card and load it up with clay so you put it in the machine it tells you how many how many how many birds you have left you out there and as you launch those birds they come off your card and you can restock it when you want and that's only if you want to you can go out there for the first time and just say no can we have one of your cards it counts the birds that you use and you pay accordingly but I've, I've probably got six or seven hundred birds on mine right now, which tells you I'm not shooting nearly enough. But also how how convinced I am and, and confident I am I'm going to be back there uh, returning as a customer. But it's just a really fun place to go shoot clays as well as trap and skeet. I don't I don't shoot much of, of, of any of the two latter. I'm a big sporting clay guy. And if you don't know sporting clays, if you're not familiar with this, because, listen, I went through 30 plus years of being a shotgun instructor before I even knew what sporting clays were. Literally had no idea. Uh, I had a good friend, Judge Brian Poindexter, the city court judge in Carmel, came by my office one time and he said, hey, uh, I want you to do me a favor. What? I said, sure, absolutely. Judge, what, what can I do for you? And he said, I want you to be on my team for a fundraiser, a political fundraiser out at Indiana Gun Club. And uh and I want to know if you're interested. I said, absolutely. I'll be on your team. I love a little competition. Uh, what are we shooting? And he said, sporting clays. And I said, awesome. What the hell are sporting clays? I didn't I mean, here, I've been an instructor all these years. But my shotgun uh, education, my, both my, my, my own education, as well as the training I'd always provided, was all focused on self-defense with a shotgun. I mean... If, if, if you want to know how to defend your home and your family, if somebody kicks your door in and you happen to be standing there with a shotgun, I'm your boy. And uh, ran, ran reloads and marksmanship and, 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 and all kinds of aspects of the use of a defensive shotgun is something I've been studying, teaching, uh, and, and taking classes on as a student for years and years and years. But I've never, I had never done any of the sporting type shotgun shooting ever. And literally did not know what sporting clays were. And Judge Poindexter explained it to me and said, well, it's kind of like golf with a shotgun. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'm not sure what that means. And he proceeded to explain it where there are multiple stations. For instance, on a typical day out at Indiana Gun Club, there's, there's 12 stations. And that's a common number you see, sometimes more, sometimes less, at the different sporting clay ranges around the state. But each one's different. And... And the, the launchers set up what we call traps, more often than not, out at the different stations, can launch these birds in, in 
unlimited number of velocities and angles and somewhat limited distances. It's unlimited in the sense that they can set the trap up way the hell away from the shooting station to begin with, so it starts far away from you. It may come back at you. It may continue to move away from you. Could be crossers. Could go straight up. Any number of different things. And 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 I think the sport. And again, I'm I'm not a big hunter. Again, most of my shooting over the years has been self defense oriented. But I, my impression is from talking to the, the the folks that I've shot with over the years is is really developed for bird hunters to be able to go practice when it's not hunting season. And even a lot of the birds, people will say, oh, yeah, that's a teal or that's a whatever. And the people have different names for different um, trajectories of, of birds out there. And they're named, a lot of them are named after birds that are the subject of hunting seasons. And so I think it really developed as a, as a way for hunters to practice and to, and to keep their edge, uh, practice their marksmanship uh, in the off season. And and so anyway, so I went out uh, the first couple of times uh, with uh, with a good judge there, uh, Judge Poindexter, and just fell in love with it. Uh, the first time you hit one of these little clay pigeons, and it just completely explodes, it's incredibly satisfying. I mean, you hit one of these things and just you, you powder it is a term you use often. Uh, well, I don't use it often enough, but you know, you just turn one of these clay pigeons just into dust, man. Poof. And, and that is about as satisfying as it gets in terms of things you can do uh, for fun with a firearm. And so immediately I got into it, and I, uh, I shot in the fundraiser on the judges' team, did well at the fundraiser, and decided to, that, that hey, oh, hey, man, I'm, I've got a real talent here. I'm blessed. Uh, I'm a natural. I'm going to start competing. And so I joined the National Sporting Clay Association, got my number, where now I signed up for the tournaments. And I started going out and shooting what they call registered shoots. And the first one I shot in is when I realized that there is a dramatic difference between fundraiser birds and tournament birds. And what's the difference? Well, fundraiser birds, a lot of people are out, you know, they just want to participate in the fundraiser. They're whatever the cause is for that fundraiser. Some of them are political, some of them are for charity. Uh, I've shot in, 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 in tournaments for the Boy Scouts, um, any number of different causes. A lot of times people just want to go support the cause and they may never have touched a shotgun in their life. And so they set the course up, the the professionals there at whatever range is hosting the event, they set, they set the course up so that everybody can have a good time and everybody can hit a few birds. So a lot of times they're closer in, they're moving a little slower, they don't go real high or real fast. And, uh, and they make it so everybody has a good time. And so after I shot well at that first fundraiser and decided I was going to go compete because I'm just convinced at this point, well, I'm just going to dominate this sport because clearly I'm a natural. I went out and, and after, uh, and I shot at one point in, in the fundraiser, I shot a 49 out of 50 and I thought, wow, look at this. I just don't miss. Well, then I went out and signed up for, for my first registered shoot, fully expecting you know, to shoot at a hundred birds, fully expect, expected to hit 98 or 99 based on my, previous experience, I think I hit 48 out of 100. 
and it was at that moment I realized the difference between tournament birds and fundraiser birds, and uh, and it is a dramatic difference. But listen, when you just go out to a place like Indiana Gun Club or some of the other places around where you can shoot, there's a great range up in Kokomo, and uh, and I love shooting up there as well. But but they they have different birds um, that are of different difficulty levels, and often you can choose which ones you want to shoot at, and everybody can have a good time. And you don't need any particular experience to have an awesome time. I mean, a lot of people go out to for you know golf for the first time. And they go out with somebody more experienced, and and you spend all your time searching for the other person's golf ball off in the rough somewhere, or in the woods somewhere, or across the street. They just knocked it across, or you got to play tennis with somebody, and you know they're hitting every other ball into the net, or sailing it over the the fence, and and it, 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 you have to have a certain skill level or experience level to have a good time. Sporting clays, you can go out and again the, the highest level shooter, the people that are in these tournaments, and master level. And I'm lucky enough, I, I've made good friends with several master-level shooters, including my, my good friend Jim Dunn, who's been here on the show, because he's the founder uh, and chairman, president of the Indiana Youth Shooting Sports Foundation. And Jim's a master-class shooter, which means he's as good as it gets. And, I, and several other friends of mine um, that I've made through this sport are master-class, master-level shooters. And I'll go out and shoot with these guys, and every time I go shoot with them, it's a lesson. But listen, when I was brand new and a rookie, I could go shoot with the with the best shooters out there, and we still have a good time. And it's a learning process because the bird goes up, you hit it or you don't. You don't have to go chase it if you don't hit it like you do your golf ball or your tennis ball. You just didn't hit it, so great. Throw up another one, see if you hit that one, and keep shooting. But it's such a good time, and and I'm going longer than I anticipated. In fact, I'm past the quarter hour, but. Uh, but you can shoot sporting clays at an Indiana gun club and they've decided they want to come partner with the gun guy show. And I am just hugely excited about that because they're good people. It's a great sport. It's immensely fun. And, uh, and you see, uh, you see kids out there, uh, who are learning responsible gun ownership, safe gun ownership, the rules of gun safety. And you see all that unfolding right out there. Uh, and it's a very safe environment for the family as well. So, um, uh, a harbinger of things to come, uh, look forward to teaming up with these guys. You'll hear me talking more about that, but I'm just way excited about them and, and really excited about uh, having them uh, as a, uh, a new sponsor, new partner here on the Gun Guy Show. In the meantime, we're a little past quarter hour. We're taking a break. Come back and talk politics a little bit. What's going on in the Indiana General Assembly? Um, we may be fixing to have a really good week this week or not. We'll see. Um, and part of it is going to depend on whether you show up and uh, support what we're trying to accomplish this year in the legislature right here in Indiana. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC, joining you from beautiful downtown Indy. At the Radio One Studios, I always want to say Emma Studios, but uh, it's Radio One now. And, and I got to tell you, I, 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 there was some trepidation over the acquisition of Emma's uh, by this new company. But I got to tell you, they really get high praise from me because they really decided that WIBC programming was successful uh, as it is and ha- as it has been for a while. 
and and they've really just allowed WIBC to be WIBC. Um, and you know, other than uh, the name on the paycheck, I mean, I, don't, I haven't gotten an actual paycheck. Uh, you know, damn long time anymore. But other than, you know, the legal entity that is behind the uh, very small uh, deposits into, into my account every month, uh, you would never really know uh, that there was a change. And, um, and, and you know, they deserve high praise for that. Um, but uh, here we are at 40 Monument Circle, and right in front of the studio is where a lot of the Activities on the circle are going on for NBA All Star Weekend, and it's neat. It's fun. I, I you know, the, the the city clearly, particularly under Joe Hogsett, has declined. There's just no way you can get around that. But uh, but you know what? Right now, uh, it it gives you a glimmer of what the city was and and, and can be again and should be. Uh, with uh, uh, a lot less of the the, the homeless people out. Um, you know, people doing things they should never do in public, uh, whether right down on the circle or otherwise right here in the mile square. And uh, we're not seeing that right now. And, and it just shows you it can be done. It shows you all we lack is the will. We don't lack the capacity. I say we. I'm talking about the city of Indianapolis. Uh, we we want to have a clean, safe, enjoyable downtown. The city can do it. They're doing it right now. Well, what the hell? Why not all the time? That's something I, I don't get. I don't understand. And it's something that needs to change. And I don't think that's going to change until we change administrations. Um, and what we need, though, is a true conservative, a true a true Republican, unlike the quote-unquote Republican that ran for mayor this last election, who stabbed us squarely in the back on Second Amendment rights. I'm talking about Jefferson Shreve. We don't need any more of that. We need a viable candidate who will return Indy to, to what it can and should be. Um, and again, it just gives you a glimmer of that when we host an event like this, because the city cleans up pretty damn well, even uh, when it's not particularly hospitable weather-wise here in central Indiana. But here coming up, and I'm going to make this a short segment so I can get into a little more detail here after the bottom of the hour. But coming up this week, we've got hearings in the Senate on both bills that the 2A Project, you know, our nonprofit organization that I founded uh, and I lead uh, and very proud to do so, um, there are two bills that we really targeted this year and have been assisting on from the beginning that we would like to see passed this year. And this is House Bill 1084. And it's entitled Privacy of Firearm Transactions. And I I talked about this quite a bit last week. And I don't want to just regurgitate the the same content in the show uh, that we covered last week. But I want to get back into it. Um, And and it has to do with the use of these credit card codes that the International uh, Standardization Organization has has created that would really allow credit card processors and banks, uh, credit card companies to target and flag transactions at gun stores you got a you got a, a a lawful business and 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 you got a, a purchase going on by a law-abiding citizen but this would allow the the banks and the credit card companies to track that and do who knows what with the information including turn it over to government authorities because the ostensible reason for this and I'll go into more of this after the break is to be able to identify track uh, suspicious purchases, and perhaps prevent a mass shooting or, or terrorism. Well, is it really designed to be able to do that? Or is it really much more likely and much more calculated 
to simply infringe on rights of law-abiding citizens. I'll get into more detail on that. But also House Bill 1235, which would finally resolve this ridiculous lawsuit brought by the city of Gary against basically the entire firearm industry and several gun stores that blames the gun industry for the violence they have in Gary. And, and, and they seek to hold retailers and manufacturers liable for the results of gun violence in Gary, even though they can't point to any illegal conduct committed by any of those defendants. It makes no damn sense. And no such lawsuit would ever be entertained in, in other contexts. And I'll go into exactly what I mean by that after the break. But both House Bill 1084 on credit card codes used at gun stores and 1235, which would prevent local governments, including the city of Gary, from maintaining these frivolous kinds of lawsuits against the gun industry. Both of those are set for a hearing this week in the Senate. They both have passed the House already. I testified in favor of both of them in the House in their committee hearings. And the challenge after we get something through the House often is to get it a hearing in the committee it's assigned to in the Senate. Well, they're both set for a hearing this week. One on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. And we need you to show up. We need you there. We need you with your two-way project T-shirt or hat or lapel pin, which I'll be wearing. And uh, and if you want to testify in favor of these bills, express your opinion, that's what the process allows you to do. And you don't need any special training, special education. You can just be a, uh, what you know what we all are, which are citizens concerned with Second Amendment rights, and voice your opinion. If you want some guidance on that, you know, send me an email uh, through the 2A project or through Relford Law, and we'll talk about you know what would be helpful. But they're both set for a hearing, <clears throat> one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. I'll go into more detail on that when we come back right now. We're at the bottom of the hour, a little past, taking a break. We'll come back more about these specific bills, when they're actually set in the Senate, and what you can do to help. Very important topic. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. The show about gun rights, gun safety, and responsible gun ownership. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. So let's talk about these two bills that are both set for a hearing this coming week in the Senate. And this is exciting because, listen, if, if, if you haven't been with us when we've discussed the legislative process, how this works is when, when a bill is introduced. So if a, a state representative files a bill, it's filed in the House because they're a member of the House of Representatives. So that's the house, uh, the chamber it gets filed in. And it then goes through what's called first reading, which basically just means it's been filed, and it gets assigned to a committee. And the committee chairman, chairperson, then gets to decide, this is why there's so much power, being a committee chair, is that you really unilaterally have the ability to decide whether a bill assigned to your committee. And there are multiple legislators on each committee, usually 9, 10, 11, in that range. Different committees are different sizes. But as chairman, you get to decide whether that bill gets a hearing or not. If it does not get a hearing and get passed out of the house it was filed in, the chamber it was filed in, House or Senate, 
then it's dead. It's gone. And there are deadlines. A bill has to get all the way through the process, get passed in that particular chamber, House or Senate, by a particular deadline, or it's gone. It's dead. Now, the language of that bill can potentially get amended into another bill that's still alive because it passed in one chamber or the other. But that's relatively rare. And most bills never get a hearing, and they die. And often that's a very good thing. For instance, I've, I've talked about the number of horrible bills that get filed every year. And, and incredibly bad anti-Constitution, anti-Second Amendment bills that get that get filed every year. And a lot of times people don't hear about these. Or occasionally, this happens to me all the time, is I'll get I'll get emails or I'll get a, 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 a direct message on social media and somebody will go, somebody will say, and often, by the way, this is in response to some hysterical posting on social media from some quote unquote pro-gun group. It's like Egads, look at this horrible bill. Stop this now. You know, join our organization and help us fight this. And for instance, I, I started getting a bunch of those on Senate Bill 66 this year. What's Senate Bill 66? It would do a lot of things. But it, among those, it would impose universal background checks here in Indiana. And people are, are sending me the link to this bill going, oh my God, this is terrible. And they're sending me like YouTube videos posted by different groups saying, oh, look how bad this would be for Second Amendment rights in Indiana. And I'm responding going, no, it never got a hearing in the Senate. It's dead. It's gone. And and and, and look, it's hard to fundraise, I'm sure, for some of these groups by, by telling people that an a anti-Second Amendment bill is already dead. But if you know what you're doing, and if you're paying attention, and if you have the right contacts to do it, when this stuff gets filed, you just have a respectful conversation with members of that committee, or hopefully that committee chair, say, by the way, you know, is this thing going to see the light of day? You plan on giving this thing a hearing? You shouldn't, and here's why. That's just communication. And, and listen, we had a whole bunch of bills. And I went through this list to some degree last week. So again, I just want to repeat last week's show. But we had a whole bunch of bills get filed this year. Senate Bill 24 would raise the, the age to carry a gun under constitutional carry to 21. It's currently 18, as you can get a license at 18. So that makes sense. But a silly bill that would prohibit firearms at places you vote at polling places what problem they're trying to fix i don't know again universal background checks in senate bill 66 a big one that that a lot of us had a lot of focus on senate bill 95 would have amended the preemption statute to allow local governments like the city of indianapolis to regulate firearms, which is they currently cannot do. Outside certain exceptions, which are very limited, local governments, cities, towns, city councils, county commissions, can't regulate firearms. It's illegal under the Preemption Act. Well, there was a bill introduced this year that would have changed that dramatically. Uh, 
House Bill 1044 would have raised the minimum age to buy a firearm to 21, even though currently at 18, not only can you go serve in the military, put yourself in harm's way, you come home and buy a rifle or a shotgun. Now, federal law says you got to be 21 to buy a handgun. Well, here's a bill right here in Indiana that would, would say, okay, yeah, you can go serve your country, put yourself in harm's way, operate a tank or an artillery unit or a drone, but you can't come home and buy a shotgun to go hunting with your grandpa at 18, 19, or 20. Ridiculous. And then a so-called safe storage bill looks to punish people who don't keep their guns locked up simply because there's somebody 18 under, under their roof. Make that a crime. But anyway, all those things were, were all filed this year. They're all dead. Why are they all dead? Because they didn't get a hearing in whatever chamber they were filed in. Several of these were filed in the Senate. A couple of them were filed in the House. They didn't get a hearing, as they should not. Now they're gone. Well, House Bill 1084 on privacy of firearm transactions dealing with these credit card codes did get a hearing in the House where it was filed. I testified at that hearing. It successfully passed out of that committee. The committee then has to vote on it. It's not just a matter of getting a hearing. After the hearing, it's up to the com- uh, up to the, the committee chair to call it for a vote. And a majority of the committee members have to recommend that it pass and send it on. It then goes for what's called second reading on the floor. And that's where people can propose amendments. A lot of times, whether a bill lives or dies depends on what happens at that point. Because a lot of times, if you don't like a bill, you're politically opposed to a bill, what do you do? You just load it up with proposed amendments. And sometimes if it's a short session or the leadership realizes they're running short on time, they may say, look, there's 20-some amendments that have been filed on this bill. We don't have time to address all those. We're just not going to call it on second reading. So it has to get called on second reading. You have to withstand the amendment process if this is a bill you're fighting for. And then it gets scheduled for third reading. That's where there's actually a vote, up or down, by all the members of that chamber. It has to get through each of those steps by a certain deadline and then get sent over to the other chamber where the whole thing starts over again. So both House Bill 1084 and House Bill 1235 passed the House. We got through all of the, all three of those steps. Now they've each been assigned to a committee in the Senate. First big hurdle is, do they get a hearing? They're both getting hearings this week. This week. One on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. House Bill 1235, 8.30 a.m. on Tuesday. House Bill 1084, 10 o'clock a.m. on Wednesday. We'll talk more about what you can do to help. If if you've got the time, you've got the availability to be there Tuesday and Wednesday, or one or the other, if that's all you can spare. I respect that 100%. But you can also, even if you can't be there, can be contacting your senator, contacting the chairman of these committees. Now, again, the chairman have already called him for hearings. So that's the biggest hurdle right there. And that's a hell of a positive sign. But now they got to pass out of there. Then they got to get passed on the floor. If they don't get amended and they're passed in the same form that they've already passed in the House, hey, they go to the governor's desk. Then they become law if the governor signs it. And so that's a big deal. We'll talk more about that whole process when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Your rights, your responsibilities, your guns. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford 
on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So when are these two bills set? Again, it's a huge victory that they both have been scheduled for hearings in the Senate after already successfully uh, being passed in the House. House Bill 1235, and again, this would finally put an end to this ridiculous lawsuit that's been pending, I believe the number is 24 years. The same lawsuit's been pending. Listen, I've had some lawsuits. I've been a lawyer for a long time. I've had some lawsuits that went on way too damn long. But 20-some years is ungodly. It's unbelievable. And that's because the 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 anti-2A folks out there that are funding this whole litigation are really just using it as a bludgeon against the gun industry. For instance, a whole bunch of big retailers, like we're talking about stores like Cabela's, in that litigation have been ordered to turn over their 4473 forms. What are those? That's identifying who their purchasers were. That's your name. That's your identifying information. If you bought a gun at those stores. And this is including a very recent history. That's not even uh, transactions that aren't even relevant to the allegations on a lawsuit. Why, why would they want that? They want that because they're trying to use this as a bludgeon, not only against the gun industry, manufacturers and retailers, but against gun owners. House Bill 1235 would finally put an end to this thing. In addition, well, let's back up. So when is that set? That is set for a hearing Tuesday morning, February 20th, at 8.30 in the morning in the Corrections and Criminal Code Committee. And that's going to be in room 130. Now, that's, quote-unquote, first floor, which is actually what I think of as the basement in the Indiana State House. So you go in, you find an elevator or find some stairs, go down one floor. Now you're on the right floor. The, the, the room numbers down there are sequential, so you're looking for room 130. If you're going the wrong direction, you'll figure that out pretty quick. Come around to room 130. There you go. If you want to testify, you fill out a little sheet of paper or there's a little like an iPad, a tablet outside the room, you can register to testify. Similarly, 1235, that would prevent the use of these credit card codes that can be used again to track gun purchases. That is set for a hearing Wednesday at 10 a.m., also in room 130. Wednesday, 10 a.m. We need you there. We need you to support us, even if you would rather not testify. Just by being in the room, showing your support for the Second Amendment has a huge, huge impact. And we really need you to do that, as well as contact your senators and tell them to vote for both of these bills. All right, we're coming up to the end of the first hour. It's time to take a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. And uh, I want to move on uh, from what's going on in the Indiana General Assembly. But again, I'll reiterate what I said there at the end of the first hour. Um, We'd love to have you there. 
Tuesday morning in room 130 on the first floor, which is the basement, um, which is where the hearing conference rooms are. Um, and uh, it's 8, 8.30 in the morning uh, on uh, House Bill 1235 and at 10 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, also in room 130 uh, for another Senate hearing on uh, House Bill 1084. And for reasons I talked about in the first hour, uh, we're really hoping both of these things pass and get sent onto the governor's desk and get promptly signed into the law because they will make Indiana even that much stronger of a pro-2A state. And I'm pretty damn proud of where we are on that point already. But there are states out there that certainly uh, are not. And uh, and, (laughs) and Hawaii, uh, this last week or two, certainly comes to mind on on that score. And uh, why is that? Well, we had an opinion, and this is State of Hawaii versus Wilson, that came out of the Hawaii Supreme Court. And let's first back up and talk about what this case uh, is all about. This guy named Wilson, uh, living in Hawaii, was found carrying a handgun uh, outside his home. Um, Hawaii has a, a license to carry. Now, they are one of those states that for generations was a may-issue state, meaning it, it was up to the state of Hawaii, uh, who gets a handgun license and who doesn't, and specifically who has a sufficient need to get a handgun license. And that kind of a system is what was expressly found to be unconstitutional as violating the Second Amendment here just a couple of years ago in the Bruin decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. And the Bruin decision was looking at, and this is New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And that case was examining New York's law that, just like Hawaii's, said you had to go in and satisfy to some bureaucrat's satisfaction. Some civil servant had to look at you, scratch his or her chin, and say, "Mm, yeah, that's a good enough reason for you to want to exercise your Second Amendment rights outside the home and carry a gun for personal protection, the protection of your family. Or scratch their chin and say, nah, you didn't convince me. That's not a good enough reason. And the Supreme Court rightly said in the Bruin case, and here we're talking about the U.S. Supreme Court in the Bruin case, rightly said, no, that's not how that works. There is a right to keep and bear arms. Bear clearly means carry. And if we're talking about carrying firearms, obviously that right is not limited to carrying your firearm between the bedroom and the kitchen in your home. It means carry in public. And yes, there's an individual right to carry a firearm for personal protection outside the home. And that's what the Bruin case found very clearly. And so all these May issue systems, and there weren't that many of them, I believe it was nine, that is states that had this system where it was discretionary as opposed to a shall-issue system, which Indiana has had since 1983. And that's because of a decision from an Indiana court that found exactly what the Bruin case did 40 years later, if my math's right. 39, 40 years later, an Indiana court said no. Where it's discretionary, then you're turning what is a constitutional right and should be a constitutional right and is a constitutional right 
into a state-granted, a government-granted privilege. That's not the way the Constitution works. That's not the way the Second Amendment works. That's not the way Article 1, Section 32 of the Indiana Constitution works. And the Indiana Constitution on this point is remarkably simple. I always say the same thing. You've heard me say it before if you're a frequent listener of the Gun Guy Show. That is, it is elegant in its simplicity. Article 1, Section 32 of the Indiana Constitution says, the people shall have the right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state. Period. End of story. No discussion of a well-regulated militia. So we don't have to endure those silly arguments. Oh, no, this means the National Guard can have guns. Nothing like that in the Indiana Constitution. And in this case, Schubert versus DeBard from back when, I believe the decision was actually 1980, and the legislature caught up in 1983, is the way I re- recall those dates, and said Indiana has to have a shall-issue system, meaning if you're eligible, unless you're disqualified for having something like a felony conviction then you get your license. It's not discretionary. And Hawaii had one of these discretionary systems. That's what was found to be unconstitutional in the Bruin case as violating the Second Amendment. So Wilson, state of Hawaii versus Wilson, it was just decided here 10 days or so ago, is a case where a guy was found with a gun outside the home. And Hawaii not only has a license requirement, they are the farthest thing from constitutional carry you're going to find in the U.S. They also had what they call um, place to keep or have, I believe, statutes. That is, they they say you cannot even possess a firearm uh, or keep a firearm in your home unless you're granted a license. And Wilson had never applied for such a license. That hurt his case dramatically. I don't know that the Hawaii Supreme Court, given what they ultimately said in this case, would have gone any different direction, but it did not help him that he had never even applied for a license. And he didn't have a license, so he was not able to possess a firearm. But he raised the Bruin case to say, hold on, if you're telling me I can't carry a firearm in public, that violates... My rights not only under the Hawaii Constitution, and they have, again, being um, a state that was brought into the Union much, much later than most, I believe 1950, I think, is when the Hawaii Constitution was written. So over a century later, over a century and a half later than uh, the U.S. Constitution. But... Hawaii's constitution has a provision that essentially is identical to the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, et cetera, et cetera. And, And so Wilson said, hey, state of Hawaii, you're violating my rights as interpreted by the U.S. Supreme Court in the Bruin decision because I have a right to bear arms outside the home. And you can't put me in jail for doing what the Supreme Court of the United States said is a protected activity. And the Bruin analysis, talking about a constitutional guarantee or right to carry a gun outside the home, extends not only to the Second Amendment, but also to the Hawaii Constitution that has a provision virtually identical to the Second Amendment. So you would think, and again, it hurts his case that he never even applied for a license. 
Because it is a much weaker argument to say a state has to adopt constitutional carry and not even allow a, a, a license that's granted on a shall-issue basis in order to comply with the Second Amendment. That is a much tougher road to hoe. In fact, Indiana has looked at that exact issue and said, no, as long as it's a shall-issue system, it's constitutional to require a license. And it's not a requirement under the Second Amendment, for instance, to adopt constitutional carry. So Wilson had a tougher argument. that The Supreme Court of Hawaii could have rejected his case and said, no, you're guilty of a crime simply because you didn't have a license and never applied for one. And there's no constitutional right to carry a gun without a license, even though there's a right to carry one if a state has a shall-issue system. Could have said that. That's not what the Hawaii Supreme Court did. What did it do? <laughs> not only said there's no right to carry a firearm outside the home, completely contrary to what the Supreme Court said in the Bruin decision. The Supreme Court of Hawaii, in a unanimous decision, tells you how liberal that court is, went on to explain in various degrees of detail all the different reasons why the Supreme Court just got it wrong, not only in the Bruin decision saying, yes, there's a constitutionally protected right to carry a firearm for self-defense outside the home, but the Heller decision from 2008 and the McDonald case from 2010 that said that there is an individual right to bear arms protected by the Second Amendment that's not limited to service in a military unit like the National Guard, that the reference to militia refers to the entire adult population that can be called up to, 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 to serve in a militia as it existed in 1791 when the Second Amendment was ratified. It is the whole of the people. It is everyone. And you don't have to serve in an organized military unit, a government-sponsored, government-organized military unit for the Second Amendment to protect your individual right to bear arms. And to have a, a firearm in your home as a private citizen is protected by the Second Amendment. That's what the Heller case said. And in 2010, the McDonald case, McDonald versus City of Chicago, said the Heller decision protecting that individual right applies not only to the federal government, so that it cannot infringe that right protected, that individual right protected by the Second Amendment, but neither can the states. And the Second Amendment protections, as ratified in the Bill of Rights, extend to states, and state not, states may not infringe on those rights. That's what the McDonald case said. So you would think that would be pretty compelling. That's a decision from the United States Supreme Court, right, on a federal issue, which is interpreting the Second Amendment. What did the state of Hawaii, through the Hawaii Supreme Court, have to say about that? They gave the Supreme Court a great big old middle finger, a great big old middle finger. And I'll explain exactly how and why and what this may mean for Mr. Wilson, as well as the other good citizens of the state of Hawaii going forward. We'll do that when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. By the way, I haven't asked for calls this whole show. Uh, give us a call. Join the discussion on any Second Amendment related issue you want to get into, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. You got questions about the bills I was talking about earlier in the show. You got questions about the interpretation of the Second Amendment. Hey, that's what we do here on the Gun Guy Show. Give us a call. Anything else gun-related you want to discuss, 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Now you've got a gun guy. Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. 
And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And I'll tell you what, uh, being responsive to my uh, solicitation, we had people call in with questions or comments. So let's go right to the phone lines. we got Bob has called in. Bob, welcome to The Gun Guy Show. Hi. Howdy. Nice to talk to you. You too. What you got? Um, uh, on the federal background check, uh, when you're filling it out, it asks um, – if you have ever been convicted of a felony Mm -hmm. and uh, I had, uh, I got a felony on my record, but it was, it was reduced to a misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. And the question states, have you ever been, have you ever been, you know, convicted of a felony? Not, it doesn't give you an opportunity to explain any of it away or anything. So I was just wondering if you still had to answer yes to that or can you answer no to it if it's been reduced? Yeah. Is this on the, like when you're buying a gun on the 4473 form? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that's cool about the 4473, Bob, and and, and most people aren't going to know this, um, but that's why we take calls here on the Gun Guy Show. Um, it has really pretty damn good instructions. And if you, if you go back in the instructions um, on the you know, the like third, fourth, fifth uh, page of this thing um, it is organized by section that the instructions refer to. So you look at the like the box that that question is in, then typically uh, you can you can go look and, and find the instructions for that. And what the instructions on the 4473 say is that if you were convicted of a felony, but the conviction has been expunged, you can say no. If you were convicted of a felony and it's been reduced to a misdemeanor, you can say no. And and again, um, it's been a while since I've looked at it. I, I know this to be true, but I invite you to read the instructions and rely on that first and foremost. But, uh, but those instructions have been clear on this, um, where either it's been reduced to a misdemeanor. And in Indiana, we have what's called alternative misdemeanor sentencing. And you can plead guilty to a felony, for instance, but under alternative misdemeanor sentencing, and often this is going to be the subject of a plea agreement that your attorney works out with a prosecutor and, and the, the judge accepts it, um, says, well, you're pleading guilty to, say, a level six felony, or back in the day, what we called a class D, as in Delta felony. But we're going to sentence you as a misdemeanor under what's called alternative misdemeanor sentencing. Or sometimes it'll say, if you serve your probation for the felony you pled guilty to, the, the court will automatically, if you successfully complete probation, automatically reduce it to a misdemeanor under alternative misdemeanor sentencing, or it cannot be addressed at all in the sentencing order or the plea agreement, but uh, at least three years from the date of the conviction, uh, you or your attorney um, is can file what's called a motion for reduction or motion for modification and have that conviction reduced to a misdemeanor if it's that lowest level felony. It has to be uh, a level six now, as we call them. We now have levels with numbers where we used to have classes with letters. But the class D, as in Delta, used to be the lowest level felony. And now it's a, it's a, a, a class D it used to be. Now it's level six. You can go in and, and after the fact. Uh, ask the judge's discretionary. They don't have to grant it. But if you've done that, the instructions on that form, Bob, tell you that you can answer no to that question. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. And Josh is called. Josh, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hi, how are you? Good, man. You doing all right? Yes, I'm doing well. I listen to you a lot. Oh, good. I appreciate that. What you got for us tonight? Well, my question is about when it comes to like uh, the Constitution in each state. When it came to Roe v. Wade, basically every state had to abide by it, right? When it comes to the U.S. Constitution? 
Yeah, it's like yeah. Roe v. Wade when they, when they, you know, passed it was in the fifties or whatever with the, you know, abortion rights. Yeah, I mean, what what um, what the Supreme Court there said is there's no constitutionally protected uh, right to a an abortion um, as protected by the U.S. Constitution, and on that basis, anybody making the argument that the U.S. Constitution gives them a right through uh, sort of a made-up right to privacy, which doesn't explicitly exist in the Constitution, that they therefore have a right to an abortion. The Supreme Court put an end to that, that based on the U.S. Constitution, that argument no longer exists. Now, that doesn't mean states um, uh, can't allow abortions if they choose, and that doesn't mean um, that uh, that the the state constitution might be interpreted differently. So the the decision that overturned Roe v. Wade it was simply saying there's no U.S. constitution based right to have an abortion. If that does that answer your question? Uh, well, um, kind of. I was wondering how you know, like they forced that upon us, but the Second Amendment. You know, they're trying to give each state a an, an idea of you must get a permit, you must be permitted. And, you know, in order to, uh, other than the Constitution states, you must be permitted by the state, you know, but they force that basically, like, seemed, it was, I was wondering about that. Well, the Supreme Court, it's a legitimate question, Josh. The Supreme Court has not addressed the issue of whether requiring a, a, a handgun license with a shall-issue system, which means you get one, it's not discretionary, you get one unless you're disqualified. But the state can also decide what disqualifications it wants to adopt, like a crime of domestic violence, um, like being under a domestic violence order of protection. Those things disqualify you um, from getting a license or from possessing a gun. So the state can still decide those things. But the state, the Supreme Court hasn't addressed the specific question of d- does does a state have to move to constitutional carry? And And I don't know that I would necessarily – want that case to go before the Supreme Court because I think it'd be a very uh, possible outcome that they would say, no, if a state wants to require a license, as long as it's a, on a shall-issue basis, they can require a license if they want to. That's why Wilson's case could have been resolved much more simply than it was. And I'll talk more about what the Hawaii Supreme Court said on that. Um it could, have, it could have just said Hawaii can require a license as long as they have a shall issue system. They could have a, they could require a license if they want to. He didn't have a license. He never even applied for one. Therefore, he doesn't have the ability to, con- to contest what's constitutional or unconstitutional about Hawaii's system. That decision from the Hawaii Supreme Court would have been at least borderline reasonable whether you agree with them that a state can, and I know this goes to your question, whether, whether a state can require a license on a, on a shallow issue basis or not, um, that would have made a little more sense. But but they went so far beyond that um, in ways that I'll go into here uh, when we come back. Right now, I'll tell you what, we still got a couple people on hold. We will go back to the phone lines and then return to this pretty unbelievable decision where a state Supreme Court, specifically the Hawaii Supreme Court, just gave a great big old middle finger uh, to the nine folks 
on the U.S. Supreme Court in a way that's uh, pretty mind-boggling to me as an attorney who practices in the constitutional law area. Uh, nothing I've seen like it before, and we'll talk about where it's going to go from here in all likelihood. But right now, we're taking a break. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. Like I said, we've got some people on hold. We'll go back to the phone lines. In addition, we'll, we'll, we'll take anybody else who calls in here for the remaining half hour of the show, 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. He's a Second Amendment attorney. He's an NRA certified firearms instructor. He's the gun guy. Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And I'll tell you what, uh, Deborah has been on hold for a little while, so let's go back to the phone lines. And Deborah, welcome to The Gun Guy Show. Deborah, you there? Three, two, one. All right. I'll t- I'm just going to put Deborah back on hold, um, and uh, we'll try her again, perhaps in a bit. Um, maybe we'll have our expert producer see if she comes back. Um, so, what the Hawaii Supreme Court say? Oh, wait a minute. Am I, am I being told Deborah's uh, yeah. on the line? Uh, let's, let's give it. Give us another shot. Deborah, are you there this time? I am here now. I heard your bell. <laughs> okay, all right. I thought you wandered away on us. What? Uh, I think you had a question. Yes, I do. Um, I the armed scholar came up in my feed a few days ago, and yeah. they're talking about a bill S three five eight nine going into the Senate Judiciary Committee. It is entitled. Let's see here. Preventing par- Private Paramilitary Activity Act. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it's in your court now. <laughs> I There's like, in subsection B, there's five particular things that I got to, and it's very, very concerning. Nobody can train together. Three or more people training in any kind with oh, yeah, this is weapons, th- even dangerous weapons, which... Um, as far as I'm concerned, Mike Tyson's fists are dangerous weapons. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, no, um, you're exactly right. And and just so folks know what we're talking about, and Deborah, thanks for calling. And and actually, Thank I'm glad. Guys. Yeah, no, I'm glad I came back to you because this is this is a big deal. And yeah, I never want to say never want to say never. I can't imagine this thing would uh, would pass. But this is filed in the U.S. Senate. This is not. Um, an Indiana bill. This is a federal bill that's been introduced in the U.S. Senate. And exactly as Deborah said, it's called Preventing Private Paramilitary Activity. And when I even, when I read that title, Private Paramilitary Activity, I'm looking at that going, I'm sorry, aren't we talking about a militia here? I mean, a militia in the constitutional sense. A militia in terms of what our founders were trying to protect. Uh, paramilitary, well, that's why they're necessary for the security of a free state. And, and so it, it's it's rather shocking to me. Well, no, it, that would make me sound more naive than I already am. Um, it should it should not be, but perhaps still is a bit shocking that they would file this thing. And exactly as Deborah said, you're talking about three or more people training together. For purposes of, of, of security. I mean, I have trained, personally I've trained, a dozen or so church security groups 
where they've decided at a particular church they want to have a security team and they want them to be trained. They want them to know when they can use force, including deadly force, and when they can't under Indiana law because they want to operate here in Indiana to protect their church, protect their fellow worshipers, protect their own families who are attending that church. And so have we trained together in groups larger than three for purposes of providing armed security at a church? Yes, yes, we have. And, and some idiot Democrat in the Senate wants to make that a crime. This is uh, uh, Edward Markey, a Democrat from Massachusetts. There you go. Ask this guy in a history lesson about the Minutemen. What were, what were the Minutemen? You know, there are statues all over your state, Senator. Talk about the heroism of the Minutemen. Were they a member of a, a paramilitary organization that trained together in groups larger than three to provide security to their community and to, oh, say, stand up to tyranny? Why, yes. Why, yes. And these are common everyday individuals who also had guns in their home they used for protection of their home and to hunt with and for sport, but also could take those same firearms and be called up to be part of a militia which is exactly what's, what the founders in writing the Bill of Rights said was a militia necessary for the security of a free state. It's every man. It's every today every adult. And so they were going to ban it. So it would make it illegal for me, for instance, to teach group firearms classes, I suppose. And, and, and listen, there's a lot of hysteria uh, on this issue. For instance, I just read an article that somebody sent me that said that, that far-right militia responses are becoming more and more prevalent at mass shootings. And they were talking about a number of different instances, including the Uvalde in Texas, where, again, you had, you had police standing around standing around in the hallways, playing grab-ass, looking at their phones for over an hour, approaching an hour and a half, while kids were being murdered, by being shot, while, they were, while kids were sending text messages saying, he's killing us, please come now. You had police standing around doing nothing. And there were a couple of different groups that showed up wanting to do something. And I read this article that I want, oh, and it was in Rolling Stone. I remember now. I'm sure you can find it. Talking about how this is some great threat to security in the U.S. that you have these armed paramilitary groups showing up at mass shootings like EGADs. Oh, I'm sorry. If my kid's being gunned down in a classroom and you've got dozens of police officers standing around playing grab ass rather than doing their jobs and kicking a door in and taking that mass shooter out, I'm going to be pretty tempted to show up with my rifle too. Now, I don't want to get in anybody's way. I don't want to do anything counterproductive. God forbid, get anybody shot who wasn't otherwise going to get shot. And so, no, I'm not just storming into the scene of the next mass shooting if, God forbid, I happen to be around one. At the same time, to wave your hands in the air and say, people can't, private citizens can't train together with firearms? 
or any form of deadly weapon, as Deborah mentioned? What kind of nonsense is that? And how antithetical to the very founding of this country is it? How antithetical to the wording of the Second Amendment? How antithetical to freedom? Unbelievable. Now, again, this has been referred to the Judiciary Committee. It was introduced um, by this Edward Markey, Democrat senator from Massachusetts. And it's been referred to the, the Judiciary Committee. Now, does this thing have a chance in hell of passing the House? Whatever happens to it in the Senate, I can't believe it's got a chance of passing it in the Senate. You would like to think a couple of halfway reasonable senators like Joe Manchin from West Virginia or Kristen Sinema from Arizona would say, oh, hell no, and not allow this thing to move any farther forward. But Deborah's exactly right. That's how ridiculous some of these things are that we see filed, including at the national level. Scary stuff. In the meantime, I'll tell you what. We're at the three-quarter hour. Let's take a break. If we have any more callers, we'll take them here in this last segment, but I'll finish up by discussing exactly what the Hawaii Supreme Court uh, had to say about our U.S. Supreme Court and where that case is likely to go from here and talking about state of Hawaii versus Wilson. But right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for our last segment here on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. By the way, I just glanced over at the YouTube feed. And uh, if you've not checked that out before, you're welcome to. You go to YouTube and just search for Gun Guy WIBC. should come right up. You can actually watch video of the show. I always say the same thing, which is I'm not much to look at. Um, but uh, But there's a chat feature and some people use that uh, they tend to be the uh, usual suspects that come back i think week to week uh, but um, a couple of comments i just noticed on there someone correctly said this includes um, my buddy kelly out in avon that uh, that to get out of the senate this ridiculous senate bill 3589 in order uh, to end debate and call that for a vote on the floor of the senate would actually require 60 votes and they're exactly right on that and uh, when I was talking about hopefully a couple of right-minded, even Democrats, would want to vote against this thing, well, that's absolutely true. However, um, you need some defections from Republicans uh, to actually cross over to get to that 60 vote with a 51-vote majority for the Democrats right now. So um, that I'm glad somebody mentioned that on there. I wanted to mention it here as well. So that relieves my heartburn a little bit. Um, but I would still say the same thing, which it surely would not have a chance in hell of getting out of the house, even were it to pass. I mean, three or more people want to get together and train with firearms. You're, you're talking about an awful lot of classes focused on gun safety, responsible gun owners. I know I teach them, and I take a hell of a lot of them as a student. I try to every year. And some of the really awesome firearms training institutes we have, like Gunsight out in Paulden, Arizona, run by my friend. Uh, CEO uh, Ken Campbell, who's been a, a guest on the show right here. I'm a student. I've been out there. I absolutely love it. What would that? They, they, they be running an illegal business because they got groups bigger than three training with firearms? Are you kidding? Saying that's all illegal paramilitary activity? What? What kind of insane asylum would we have to be living in for that to be true? Unbelievable. Again, people have to completely ignore the complete origins of this country. 
and the origins of the Second Amendment to get anywhere close to that. But let's wrap up the discussion on this Hawaii Supreme Court case. Again, it's, it should not be shocking because we're talking about Hawaii. But at one point, and this is what caught a lot of people's attention, and this been, has been discussed a lot even in the national media, is, is they said, you know what, we just don't think the Supreme Court, or even the Second Amendment generally, we don't think Supreme Court's decisions, we don't think they apply to us here in Hawaii. And at one point they said, you know what, the spirit of aloha here in Hawaii actually supersedes the U.S. Constitution. Spirit of aloha, and if you're familiar, and, 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 and I cannot claim any knowledge of the original Hawaiian language, but aloha means both hello, goodbye, and love, and I think other things as well. But the spirit of, of love, essentially, there in Hawaii, that countermands the Constitution, and because it's inconsistent with the spirit of aloha for individuals to walk around armed with deadly weapons simply to protect themselves against a threat that may never manifest itself. And they've, on that basis, thumbed their nose at the U.S. Supreme Court. They've said that Supreme Court, the Supreme Court simply got it wrong. The U.S. Supreme Court got it wrong when they said there's an individual right to bear arms. No, there's not, the Hawaii Supreme Court says. There's no individual right at all. If you're not a paramilitary unit... Well, sounds like even if you're in one now, if you're not actually in the National Guard or the U.S. military, then you're an illegal paramilitary <laughs> unit, and you, 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 that that conduct's going to be banned by this Senate bill that we're talking about. <laughs> They're going to get you any which way. But there's no individual right to bear arms, and the Bruin decision from the Supreme Court of the United States is also wrong because there's no individually protected right to carry a gun outside the home. So how does this work? Can, can the Hawaii Supreme Court make that ruling? Does that stick? Do they have the right to disagree with the U.S. Supreme Court? They do as to the Hawaii Constitution, but they don't as to the U.S. Constitution. Supreme Court authority is binding on state courts to the extent they're interpreting a legal issue that is a federal issue, including interpretation of the Federal Bill of Rights. So I fully expect that decision to go to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I expect to see it reversed with a pretty terse decision. That brings us to the end of the show. We hope you enjoyed it. I hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC.